I see a lot of cases involving somebody who commits a horrific crime against his wife and or children, and there are lots of warning signs. And these are the warning signs. Language like this is the warning sign. How do you balance the right to free speech in this very typical situation involving domestic, at least terror, if not violence, and try to make sure there isn't a murder? Not all speech is constitutionally protected. Some speech, the kind that makes someone fear for their life, that can get you arrested. That can get you sent to prison. There's one way to love you, but a thousand ways to kill you, and I'm not going to rest until your body is a mess, soaked in blood and dying from all the little cuts. It's distasteful. The more people told me that I couldn't do it, the more that I wanted to do it, to push the buttons. Today on the show, he called it artistic expression. The government called it a threat. When is speech a red flag? I'm Matthew Schwartz. I'm Mike Volo. And this is Unprecedented. In 2001, Anthony Alonis met Tara on the internet. They were both teenagers living in eastern Pennsylvania. My name is Anthony Douglas Alonis. I met Tara actually online. I believe it was GeoCities. She had a, um, a site called Moles Turn Me On. She has a mall right here. So that's how I found Tara. Uh, I remember the first time we met, we were going to the movies. What movie did you see? Crazy Beautiful. Then we hung out at Walmart. That was our first just being together. Do you remember what you thought when you first saw her? I thought she was beautiful. I still remember the first time I laid eyes on her. She was like radiating. She was sitting on the sidewalk. I, I believe it was instantaneous in terms of my feelings for her. The two were married in the fall of 2002 by a magistrate judge. They did not have a reception. We did the justice of the peace thing. She was 16. I was 19, so I had to get her parents' permission. She was already pregnant with our son. I mean, I had felt guilty because, you know, every man wants to give his wife the, the wedding. There's some measure of guilt there. I did love her. We really wanted to hear this story from Tara's perspective, too. We left voicemails and text messages, but we never heard back. What you're hearing now, of course, is Anthony's version. We got married on Eminem's 30th birthday, October 17, 2002. She testified at court that I never listened to rap music, and that's, that's a lie. My sister will tell you that one of my punishments growing up is to have my albums taken away. What albums were they? Big Pun, Rough Riders, obviously you have Eminem. My name is, you know, his first major release. I bought his album, I listened to him ever since. It's an artist that I related to. It's an artist that my ex-wife in the past has related to. Anthony and Tara were married for about seven years before things started falling apart. Anthony says he was spending too much time at work, too much time partying. And when they argued, he was cruel. Do you feel like you were verbally abusive to her? I think so, yes. 
when things don't go my way, I, I tend to not handle that very well. If we're having an argument, I tend to go for the jugular. I'll use anything that I know that you feel weak about. I'll, I'll use that against you. So I can understand why, why she left. It sounds like when you're arguing with somebody, you try to wound them. Yeah. Do you remember the day in, I think it was 2010, uh-huh. when she told you that she was leaving and taking the kids? I believe it was May 10th. I came home and she had loaded her belongings onto a trailer on her dad's truck. She told me that I had told her that she can dish it out, but she can't take it. And that in actuality, I'm, I'm the one that can dish it out and not take it. Talking about just generally verbal abuse. So you're now in this house that you live Apartment, in, yeah. Apartment that you lived in with mm-hmm. her and your kids. And suddenly you're there. Alone. Alone. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Yeah, that was probably the worst. Just coming home from work, doing that shift, and, you know, the sound of the kids not being there. I mean, that that wore me. And then when I could no longer afford to live there, because I've always relied on two incomes, when I couldn't afford that, having to move back in with my parents, that I was a shock after having had a family. You keep alluding to your job. What, what were you doing at the time? Tell me what you, um, where you were working. I worked seasonally for Dorney Park and Wildwater Kingdom. The year 2010, I was a department supervisor in the rides department. I worked up until October of 2010, and I was fired. Halloween haunt at Dorney Park. A co-worker at the park had posed with Alonis during a Halloween event. He was dressed in costume, and he held a toy knife to her throat. It was a joke, but he then had a falling out with the co-worker and posted the photo online with the caption, I wish. The park ended his employment. How low did you get mentally? Pretty low. Pretty low. I um, wasn't really sleeping. I hadn't slept for three days. I was definitely doing drugs. I was definitely drinking. Definitely wasn't sleeping. That doesn't mean that I didn't have a understanding of what I was doing. You obviously weren't dealing with this in the best way at first. You were using drugs and alcohol to, I guess, self-medicate, right? Correct. But then at some point you you took on this alter ego that you called... Tone Dougie. Tone Dougie. This was a sort of rap alter ego, and you started writing rap lyrics as Tone Dougie as I suppose what you thought was a healthier way to deal with the sadness and the pain of losing your family. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct. Tone Dougie never actually recorded anything. He never laid down tracks. He mostly just posted lyrics online on his Facebook page. According to Anthony Alonis, Tone Dougie was therapeutic. I mean, it had a, a lot of purposes. One of the, and I try to explain this to the jury, but 
Stephen King had wrote an essay, an introductory foreword to the Bachman books, where he wrote as Richard Bachman. And he had described the benefit to having the ability to have this alter ego, that he could recognize that he had these elements of himself, and he had a, a way to channel that. I think it's very important to have a way for us to channel our creative energy, and that may not look the same to everyone. One of the subjects that Tone Dougie rapped about was his, your ex-wife, Tara. Do you remember and can you recite one of those raps? There's one way to love you, but a thousand ways to kill you, and I'm not going to rest. And I'm not going to rest until your body is a mess. Nina Totenberg covered this story for NPR. Soaked in blood and dying from all the little cuts. Hurry up and die, bitch. Hurry up and die, bitch, so I can bust this nut. You know, all over your corpse from atop your shallow grave. It's distasteful. And I'm not going to go into it because I'm not, I'm not happy with the content. Because I do feel remorse. Because I did love her. And then his wife Tara went to court. And they had a hearing. And she got a protective order. Barring him from coming anywhere near her or their children. And... Just three days after the court hearing, he posted another Facebook message. Did you know that it's illegal for me to say I want to kill my wife? Alonis was actually riffing on a bit from a sketch comedy group called The Whitest Kids You Know. Did you know that it's illegal to say I want to kill the president of the United States of America? It's illegal. It's a federal offense. It's one of the only sentences that you're not allowed to say. Now, it was okay for me to say it right then. Alonis changed the words so that instead of the president, he was talking about his wife. A week later, he posted this about his wife. Fold up your protective order and put it in your pocket. Is it thick enough to stop a bullet? And the next day, he said he was ready to, quote, make a name for himself with the most heinous elementary school shooting ever imagined. They took my kids away because of stuff I put on Facebook. Like, I feel I have a right to say this. I feel that even though you disagree with me, you don't, there is no heckler veto. You can't tell me not to say that. The more people told me that I couldn't do it, the more that I wanted to do it, to push the buttons. I remember waking up in the middle of the night, the school shooting one, that was, that was just something I woke up and was like, that was middle of the night. You remember why, like what was going on at the time? You know, I grew up on a lot of macabre themes. You know, as awful as it is, it was something I wrote that's violence against children and that's something that's out there in the in entertainment. So when you wrote that? It's something that should never happen. So when you wrote that, you weren't planning on shooting at the school? Um, no. No. It was just no. like a violent fantasy just... It, it was adopting that that psyche and with the disclaimers that that's what I was doing. That post got the attention of FBI agent Denise Stevens, who visited Alonis at home afterwards with her partner. And then he posted this message. Little agent lady stood so close, took all the strength I had not to turn the bitch ghost. Pull my knife, flick my wrist and slit her throat. Leave her bleeding from her jugular in the arms of her partner. That would be Little Agent Lady. Little Agent Lady being one of the FBI agents that knocked on your door. 
Well, I mean, I don't want to say yes. I mean, it could have been any situation involving someone from law, well, agent, FBI, DEA, whatever. I It was written out of the meeting, but that doesn't mean that it needs to be read as that specific agent. It doesn't need to be read like that. But it was read like that, and it was one threat too many. Ilonis was arrested and charged with violating Section 875C of the United States Criminal Code, which prohibits making any communication containing a threat to injure another person. The government didn't care that Alonis made some of these threats under his rap alter ego, Tone Dougie. The government also didn't care that Alonis linked to the Wikipedia page on freedom of speech. They did care that he violated the law. So he was prosecuted for these threats and convicted by a jury. The judge instructed the jury that to convict it must find that the Facebook posts constituted true threats, meaning that in context, a reasonable person would foresee that the statements would be interpreted as a serious expression of an intent to inflict bodily harm or bodily injury. And so he was convicted and sentenced to three and a half years. And he said, look, I was just venting. There are disclaimers all over the page saying I'm just venting. In fact, he linked to the Wikipedia entry on free speech. Yeah. And he said, this is venting. Don't take this seriously. Therefore, it's not a violation of the law. It's an expression of his free speech. Again, I tried to contact Anthony Alonis's ex-wife, Tara. We really wanted to know how all of this had affected her and her children, how it may have changed them. No response. We confided to Nina that we were disappointed. But you see, she just wants to be left alone. She's afraid of him. And I am sure she doesn't want to do anything that will provoke him. And he has lots of rationalizations, and these are very post hoc rationalizations. We'll never know whether he was using the First Amendment as a cover, and what he really was trying to do was scare the bejesus out of her, whether he was doing both, both expressing himself and trying to scare the bejesus out of her. But whatever he says now is not a valid explanation, in my view. There was a lot to indicate that he just viewed himself as a First Amendment sort of activist. This is John Elwood. He was Anthony Alonis's attorney through much of the case. You know, in the sort of days after he had lost his job and his wife, I think that he found some appeal in giving his life meaning by being sort of a First Amendment advocate. That's my armchair psychology. I believe that there exists a line between protected and unprotected speech, and that we need citizens to get to that line to prevent the government from moving it. So it was important for me to do that because they'll continue to move it until there's no room for for any discourse. I remember watching The People versus Larry Flint and I thought that I could do that. I thought that I could do that. So I had researched true threats. I knew there was a potential for a Supreme Court case and I latched on to it. Coming up, Anthony Alonis spent three and a half years in prison for his Facebook posts. Did he get what he deserved? Or did he get locked up for exercising his First Amendment right to vent? Stick around. Hey there, unprecedented listeners. 
As we're exploring what comes next, we want to hear from you. What did you love about this season of the show? What did you want more of? Are you interested in more stories of the First Amendment, like freedom of the press, our freedom to protest, our freedom to worship? Or are you eager to delve into other amendments, for instance, our right to be free from government searches and seizures? I, I think that's the fourth amendment. It is the fourth amendment. Or the prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment, the, Ooh, the eighth? The eighth. Yes. Yeah. Tell us what you think. Send an email to unprecedented at wamu.org. That's unprecedented at wamu.org. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. Did you intend to threaten your wife? No. Did you know that by posting those lyrics, she would feel threatened? I believed in the possibility that she could take that as a threat. Then the question becomes, well, how much fear is necessary to remove speech? from the protection of the, of the First Amendment. Anybody can say, I'm afraid of the consequences of this speech. Anybody can say that. But how much fear is necessary to remove speech from the protection of the First Amendment? How would you answer that question yourself? Um, it's gotta be a lot of fear. Uh, I wasn't following her. I wasn't going to her place of employment. She had no contact with me. The only thing she knew of me is what her friends were telling her. She wasn't my friend on Facebook. Um, so there were a lot of obstacles for her eyeballs to come in contact with the content on my Facebook. Did you and, make it public? Um, it was public, yes. So you knew that she could see it? Uh, I knew that... I knew that it being... I knew that... <laughs> so yes, I, I... Yes, there's the possibility that she would have seen it. And, as it turns out, she did. It's important to get inside Anthony Alonis's head because what he was thinking when he wrote those Facebook posts speaks directly to his motivation. Remember, a threat doesn't get First Amendment protection if it's deemed a true threat. True threat, not just somebody blowing off steam. But how do we know if something is a true threat? you look to the mindset of the person who made the threat. Did Anthony want Tara to fear that he was going to do the things he said he would do in those rap lyrics? So what you're saying is it's not even really about whether Anthony intended to carry out those threats. It's about whether Anthony wanted Tara to believe that he might carry out those threats. Exactly. But in order for us to know what Anthony intended, we would have to be able to read his mind. Yeah, and that's basically what juries are expected to do. They have to answer the question, did Ilonis really mean to threaten his wife? Or was he just venting? 
And again, even if he didn't intend to carry out the threat, did he intend for Tara to feel threatened? Because that's a true threat, and that's not protected. Can I ask you this? Did you hope she would see it? I had I had hoped that uh, she would see the the pain that I was going through, um, and I, to be honest with you, I didn't, you know, I probably didn't channel that in the best way, but I mean, there was a little hope that she would see it. Yeah. So you hoped she might see it. Did you? Did you hope that she would feel threatened? No. Matt, I'm going to interrupt here because I feel like we need to mention that. Tara had taken out a restraining order against Anthony. They call it a a, a protection from abuse order, a PFA. And he later wrote on Facebook, fold up your PFA and put it in your pocket. Is it thick enough to stop a bullet? Which, Which makes one wonder, how could he write this stuff, hoping she would see it and not expect her to feel threatened? I mean, so... Without speaking of the positives or the negatives of, 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 of a PFA, it is just a document. It is not going to protect you from someone that wishes to do you harm. So when you wrote something like a PFA isn't going to stop a bullet, you must have known that that was going to make her feel threatened if she saw it. I mean, I don't think I would. I, I, I don't. First of all, I didn't know if she was going to see it. I mean, that was always... You hoped she would. Uh, there was a small measure of hope that she would see my Facebook. And was that a, like a plea for attention, or why did you want her to see it? Well, I think I wanted her to see that I, I could do this. Do what? Write what I wanted to write, and that she wasn't going to stop me, and that the court wasn't going to stop me, and I was going to continue to do it. That I, I, I drew the line in the sand, and I wasn't going to back down. We'll hear argument next this morning in case 13983, Ilonis versus United States. Mr. Elwood. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. The First Amendment permits restrictions. So you were arguing that this is artistic expression? Yes, it was worth protecting. Exactly, because that's, you know, I, I, I definitely got questions and argument about why, why should we try to protect this speech. It's a very low-value speech. Ilonis' attorney, John Elwood. You know, it's not really communicating any great elevated idea. And, um, you know, uh, I tried to talk about how these things are, you know, worth expressing artistically because, you know, it, it, it communicates a lot of very intense emotions. They may not be pretty emotions, but they are cathartic uh, sometimes to people who do them. I mean, like the best example is uh, Eminem and anybody who's ever gone through a bad divorce um, uh, might enjoy listening to Eminem. He's written some songs that are just absolutely blistering about, you know, essentially drowning his ex-wife, uh, throwing her in the water. And one of the things I, I found kind of most professionally satisfying is when you can get, as happened in the argument, you can get Chief Justice John Roberts quoting Eminem to your opposing counsel and saying, well, couldn't Eminem be prosecuted for this? Uh, you know, Dad, I'm making a nice bed for Mommy at the bottom of the lake, tie a rope around a rock. This is during the context of a domestic dispute between, uh, you know, a husband and wife. This is Chief Justice John Roberts questioning the attorney for the government, Michael Dreeben. 
There goes Mama splashing in the water. No more fighting with Dad. You know, uh, all that stuff. There goes Mama splashing in the water. No more fighting with Dad. No more restraining order. No more stepdad. Dad. No more new brother. Blow a kiss's bye-bye. Tell Mama you love her. And we'll go play in the sand, build a castle. Could that be prosecuted? No. Because if you look at the context of these statements. Because Eminem said it instead of somebody else? Because Eminem said it at a concert where people are going to be entertained. This is a critical part of the context. It wasn't as if he stated it to her in private or on a Facebook page, and that is a... So rel- how do you start out if you want to be a rap artist? Your first communication, you can't say, I'm an artist, right? I, I think that you have perfect freedom to engage in rap artistry. What you don't have perfect freedom to do is to make statements that are uh, uh, like the ones in this case where after the individual receives a protection from abuse order from a court, which was based on Facebook posts that his wife took as threatening, he comes out with a post and says, fold up that PFA and put it in your pocket. Will it stop a bullet? He knows that his wife is reading these posts. He knows that his posts, despite the fact that they're in the guise of rap music, have instilled fear in her. And he goes out and he ramps up and escalates the threatening character of the statements. So, John, do you think that if Eminem had written some of those lyrics and instead of recording it, if Facebook had been around back then, just posted it, do you think he might have faced the same sort of trouble? I think definitely so. If we're talking about Eminem, you know, uh, as he's before he's broken through. Marshall Mathers. If he was just Marshall Mathers from Detroit, you know, from 8 Mile, and he was, you know, just posting it on Facebook before he had ever, anyone had ever heard of him, I I think he could definitely have been prosecuted. And that's kind of the argument that I made. And I vaguely recall something that Chief Justice John Roberts seems sympathetic to, the idea that as, you know, that uh, Marshall Mathers, uh, before he had broken through, uh, could have been prosecuted just like Tone Dougie was. Yeah, and, and how do you become Eminem right. if you're not you first exactly Marshall right. Mathers writing mm-hmm. those lyrics? Right, exactly. I, although, you know, the uh, I, I try to be scrupulously fair and balanced is, you know, uh, it helps to record it first. So, before you go posting it on Facebook. Your dad, I love you. I love you, baby. This is one of the communications in this case. On, for which your your client was convicted. This is Justice Samuel Alito questioning Alonis's attorney, John Elwood. That's it. I've had about enough. I'm checking out and making a name for myself. Enough elementary schools in a 10-mile radius to initiate the most heinous school shooting ever imagined. And hell hath no fury like a crazy man in a kindergarten class. The only question is, which one? Now, suppose that this was altered a little bit. So at the bottom, he puts... Just kidding, just kidding, laughing out loud. And at the top, he puts Tone Dougie, aspiring rap artist. Okay, what's a jury to do with that under your theory? That you have to get into the mind of this obsessed, somewhat uh, disturbed individual to figure out whether he really knew that this would cause a panic on the part of the school officials and parents who found out about this? Yes. The, yes, yes, that's the yes exactly. And it's the same thing that juries do all the time. You think that's what time. Congress intended? That's, so that, that free verse poem about a school shooting, I'm not even going to call it a rap because it, it really wasn't, that in the context of a Facebook post stripped of any obvious artistic intent, it reads like a threat. 
And it should be taken seriously. I would want law enforcement all over Alonis if he lived near my son's elementary school. Well, yeah, reading violent rap lyrics aloud in a courtroom without a beat would make anyone sound disturbed. But I want to try something. I asked Ben, our sound engineer, to take those lyrics as read by Justice Alito and present them as they might sound at an actual concert. That's it. I've had about enough. I'm checking out and making a name for myself. There's enough elementary schools in a 10-mile radius to initiate the most heinous, heinous school shooting ever imagined. And hell hath no fury like a crazy man in a kindergarten class. The only question is, which one? Just kidding, just kidding. Tone Dougie. Tone Dougie. Just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. Tone Dougie. Tone Dougie. Just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. Well, what do you think? I, I mean, it, it's better, I guess. <laughs> it sounds closer to art than it did before. But, you know, look, I've listened to enough rap to qualify as discerning. And with or without a beat, that's it's just not good. In fact, it's bad. And I've never been a big Eminem fan, but he was he was clearly a skilled lyricist on some of his earlier albums, the Slim Shady LP, the Marshall Mathers LP. If you want to be Eminem, then make a demo. Don't post it on your Facebook, especially when you're emotionally distraught after losing custody of your kids. How do you feel knowing that you got arrested for your poetry, your rap lyrics, while famous rappers like Eminem write the same sorts of things and make millions of dollars? Um, I don't want to play the victim. Um, it was um, excruciating. I remember uh, shortly into my, my um, imprisonment, I remember Foster the People, the Pumped Up Kicks. That was on the radio every, every hour at least. How does that one go? Um, uh, wait, was it all the other kids with the Pumped Up Kicks better run, better run faster than my bullet? Is that, is that how it goes, I believe? Um, but it's basically a song, a popular song, about a school shooting. So, I mean, to me, that was, that was torturous. Where were you when you heard those? Uh, I was in the Federal Detention Center in Philly. Uh, at the time of that, that song was pretty popular. And like I said, on the radio, uh, like in in the prison? Yeah, I was in. I was in. Oh, we could purchase on commissary small little radios uh, for us to listen to AM, FM. I mean, the argument was always that well, you're not you're not them. So I like uh, uh, Robert's line of thinking is well, how do you become them? Um, and I don't think that. Any American should be denied the opportunity to follow their dreams, whatever that may be. Did you want to be a rapper? Um, I think I wanted a Supreme Court case more than I wanted to be a rapper, to be honest with you. And as we mentioned, along with his violent rap lyrics, Anthony Alonis was also posting disclaimer after disclaimer. Here's his attorney, John Elwood, talking to Justice Alito, who seemed less sympathetic than Justice Roberts to the... M&M argument. Context. If you could look at page 344 
Uh, this is the standard disclaimer which appeared on his web page, which says all content posted to this is strictly for entertainment purposes only. And again, you can imagine a situation where somebody says, I'm, I'm posting this for entertainment purposes only. You can see the number of other things he posts in the style of rap. Well, this sounds like a roadmap for threatening uh, a spouse and getting away with it. So you, you put it in rhyme, and you put some <laughs> stuff about the Internet on it, and you say, I'm an aspiring rap artist, and so then you're, you're free from prosecution. And the jury, uh, the, the prosecution would be perfectly free to point out all the things that they find on the phone. That yeah, and he said, this is venting, don't take this seriously. Um, and he said, in context, therefore, it's not a violation of the law. It's an expression of his free speech. And one could say, and it sounds somewhat shocking to put it so starkly, but one could say that he went to jail for three and a half years for speech. He didn't do any of the things he said he wanted to do or that this character, Tone Dougie, that he wrote as wanted to do. Well, he told us he didn't intend to do it. He Guys, said that- I have to tell you that I cover the Supreme Court and I see a lot of cases involving somebody who commits a horrific crime against his wife and or children. And there are lots of warning signs. And these are the warning signs. Language like this is the warning sign. You see it as a red flag over and over and over again. Hopefully the he doesn't kill anybody. But how do you balance the right to free speech in this very typical situation involving domestic, at least terror, if not violence, and try to make sure that there isn't a murder? And so the question is, what can you do to prevent some true act of violence? He never got to that point. Maybe he's better now. Maybe he's calmed down some. Maybe he's had enough chance to vent that it eased him. Half the capital cases that come in front of the Supreme Court involve people who do things like this because they are in those circumstances, in domestic circumstances. They kill their girlfriend. They kill their wife. They kill somebody who they think their wife has flirted with. They talk like this a lot beforehand. And often... Usually, the police feel they can't do anything about it. Well, here he did it in writing and repeatedly and after a court order. And if I were a cop, I would lock him up. So you're saying if these aren't warning signs, then then what are, really? If these aren't warning signs, what is a warning sign? When the Supreme Court took this case they were thinking about the First Amendment, about whether the First Amendment protects speech that may seem threatening, about whether the First Amendment protects Anthony Alonis. Here's where the case takes a bit of a detour. Justice Stephen Breyer. Forget the First Amendment issue here. Take it to the side. Forget it. It has to do with the state of mind. So you have to know that you are transmitting a true threat. And if you don't know that, you're home free. We said at the beginning that it's important to get into the mind of Anthony Alonis. Right, because we need to know if Anthony wanted Tara to be afraid. 
because that would make his words a true threat and therefore a crime. But the jury wasn't told to figure out what was going on in Anthony Alonis' mind. The jury was asked, would a reasonable person believe that those Facebook posts would be perceived as a threat? So let's say I'm the theoretical reasonable person. The jury is wondering if I, looking at those Facebook posts, would think that Tara would take them as a threat. Yeah, that's what the jury was instructed to ponder. But that's not what juries are supposed to ponder in a criminal case. They're they're not supposed to get into the mind of a reasonable person. They're supposed to get into the mind of the person charged with the crime. So did Anthony Alonis himself intend his statements to be interpreted as a threat? Exactly. So the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Anthony Alonis because Alonis was convicted for what a reasonable person might have thought and not for what he himself thought. When do threats posted online go too far and actually amount to a crime? We get the breakdown from our justice correspondent, Pete Williams. In a decision applying to the 200 million Americans who use social media, the court said that just because a message causes genuine fear, that doesn't make it illegal. The court Here is Chief Justice John Roberts delivering the opinion. There is a general principle in our system of federal criminal law that serious criminal punishment should only be imposed for conscious wrongdoing. Ilana says the jury should have been required to find that he intended to threaten someone before convicting him. We agree. That conviction was based solely on whether a reasonable person would regard Ilanis's communications as threats, regardless of what Ilanis thought. This is not a case of ignorance of the law being an excuse. It does not matter whether Ilanis knew it was against the law to send threats. The question is whether he meant to send threats in the first place. The jury was not required to find that he did, and so Alanis's conviction cannot stand. How exactly does the First Amendment come into play? The court didn't answer that. They simply said that what Anthony Alonis was thinking matters. And because the jury didn't consider that, his conviction cannot stand. Alonis wanted a Supreme Court case. He got what he wanted, but he spent three and a half years in prison, and the question still lingers. Does the First Amendment protect speech that is possibly artistic, maybe cathartic, and seemingly threatening? We called Alonis back to ask if he would do this all again. Would he push the boundaries of speech in order to get a Supreme Court case even one that ends with so much uncertainty as this one? He was driving, so he pulled over and spoke to us from his car. I wouldn't say the, those days are behind me. I still like to push the envelope. I still like to say things I shouldn't say, just to say them most of the time. You know, I, I go through this process in my head where I'll think of something outrageous, and then I'll say, well, you know what, you really shouldn't say that. But then there's a voice that says, well, you know what? Fuck it. Just say it anyway. Just because you can say it doesn't mean you should say it. Well, someone has to say the things that you shouldn't say before those things become the things that you can't say. 
but it costs a lot. Loss of family, loss of friends. It's one of the hardest things that you can possibly do is to stand up for free speech. Don't know the exact quote, but there's a Supreme Court case where they said often the people that that are in these cases, these First Amendment cases, aren't very likable. Do you think that you're likable? Um, a lot of times the role that I play is not very likable. People should like the things that I say. <laughs> I don't even like the things that I say half the time. But generally, if you get to know me, I would hope that you would have a not-too-negative opinion of me. This case ended with confusion and frustration on both sides. But that's not a bad thing. I hope that we will still be debating a hundred years from now all of the questions that have come up this season. Because uncertainty is the engine of democracy. And I, I know that sounds like something cribbed from Poor Richard's Almanac, but it's true. The messiness of of legal precedent and legal limbo and gray areas, that's what keeps us all arguing about how to better organize our society. We set out this season to tell the stories of ordinary Americans who helped ensure rights for all of us, the accidental guardians of our freedoms. As Anthony Alonis himself demonstrates, they're not all saints, but they have all helped us as we try to figure out, you, me, the Supreme Court justices, as we all try to figure out what it means to live under the Constitution. It's messy, and it's uncertain, and it's constantly evolving. In other words, it's the story of America. Unprecedented was produced at WAMU. Our editor is Ponzi Rutch, and our audio engineer is Ben Privet. J.J. Yor is general manager of WAMU. Andy McDaniel is in charge of all content. If you like what you heard today, tell a friend, tell a stranger by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any thoughts or feedback on the show, you can also send us a tweet with the hashtag AccidentalGuardians. If you want more podcasts like Unprecedented, become a member of WAMU. They produce and distribute Unprecedented and other great shows. Click the link in the show notes and tell them you're giving because you love Unprecedented. And thanks for listening. <laughs>